Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Off the Post. I'm Russ Cohen. We've got Anthony Mingione. And how are you? Doing good, Russell. Yourself? Real good. Real good. And Michael Jello, Mike? Good morning, uh, gentlemen. I am doing well because the Yankees are up one nothing. And that's your whole world, isn't it? Yes, it's, it dominates my. It dominates everything, every aspect of my being. It's okay. I get it. All right, so we get into the hockey action here, and I, I did manage to uh, stay awake for the Flyers game. And my my basic thoughts are are this: uh, we know that Vancouver is an offensive team with not much defense, and we know the Flyers are a defensive team with offense that sputters. So it was an interesting matchup, and it really sort of worked out that way. Uh, can't blame anybody for the shootout. The shootout's a shootout. The, right. the, thing, the thing that I would come away with in this game is that the Flyers, the way they play at home and the way they play on the road are still two different teams, and that goes back to the core. Until I see something different, I kind of wonder what kind of road team they'll be. I mean, we're still, again, three games into the season, and technically we've only had – they've been on the road, even though the other one was technically a home game, or one game in so far. I, I do have some concerns, obviously, about having to – you know, when you're traveling across multiple time zones playing three games to start your yep. season in three different countries and multiple time zones. Six That's hours ahead, three hours behind last night. I can't – it's one of those – in this circumstance, I'm going to probably give them a mulligan on the on this first one because of the fact of the extreme circumstances of the travel. Um, yeah. That being said, I didn't think it was a te- it was a it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a terrible game by them. Um, no, not even by, evidenced by the final score. Um, they looked a little slow at the beginning, a little sluggish. Um, Hart specifically, I thought, was a little slow on some of his initial stops, and then once mm-hmm. he kind of got himself got his legs under him, he looked like himself again. Marstrom, I think, had an outstanding game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has historically done well against Philadelphia. I think coming into the game, he had a career goals against of 1.73, and I think well over 92% save percentage. Well, you know so what that goes that back is- to. I'll tell you what that goes back to. What that goes back to is Markstrom or John Carlson could have been Flyers if the Flyers didn't trade for Steve Eminger. And so <laughs> Markstrom probably has it against them because maybe he wanted to be a Flyer, and he ended up in Vancouver, in, in Florida instead. <laughs> Well, that's a theory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say all in all for Philadelphia, I thought once they kind of, especially once they got into the third period, um, they dominated play. Uh, Vancouver mm-hmm. was, really looked like, if you're watching the third period, Philly was, it seemed like a matter of time before they were going to crack Markstrom. And coincidentally, mm-hmm. um, again, Vancouver had been really, really sharp with their penalty killing early in the season. One mistake that um, that Niskanen manages to get uh, Sutter to make, and that yeah. opens up the PK. That opens up the that opens up the scoring. They Philly looks like they're they're in an interesting in, in an interesting spot. The one thing that was really noteworthy, though, if you're going to go to anything, is 
the fact that Jake Borachek pretty much had his butt stapled to the uh, to the bench last night in the third period. So yep. was, I think it was pretty obvious that uh, Elaine Vigneault was not happy with 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 his vet, with, with with Jake's play. Which um, again, stop it right there because that goes that goes back to my theory, and I told Jason this on stick to stick to hockey. When I watched the series, what got me was. There was a part where they cut away where Vigneault was basically very unhappy with a player's play, but they never attached it to a player. They never showed the player while he was talking about it in the box. And I told Jason, I think that was Jake Voracek. And he goes, could have been either. Right. I would say it could. I think defensively, it could have. It could have been. A, I think it's a fifty-fifty between Jake and James Van Riemsdyk. That's fair. JPR, again, he's looking for guys to bite back on the play. And yeah. And Jake, Jake, you know, as much as he. You know, we all saw him behind the glass, how he's, you know, in the locker room and telling, you know, the player, you know, players, we got to do this, we got to do this and everything else. I don't know if it's sometimes sins of commission versus sins of omission with, with, with Jake at times, especially when it comes to the defensive area of play. But it's going to be, I think, the relationship with him, I think, with, with, with veterans on this team is going to be really fascinating to watch. I think, you know, Giroux's going to, you know, be in the lineup almost all the time. But I can very yeah. easily see this, that Jake being the subject of Elaine's t- of Elaine's tough love. I really do in this circumstance, and he's a, again a veteran with a big contract. So, and I don't, but again, I don't think Elaine is going to hesitate doing this if he needs to in order to get his message through to the rest of the players. No, I agree. And Mike, um, something I noticed, and I think this is during three on three. I would never have James Van Reems like out there three on three because there was a point where he had the puck, he was going up ice. <laughs> And Brock Besser, all he had to do was sort of do a quick reach, and he got the puck right back from him, and the play went the other way. Like, there's, I think Vigneault is going to learn there are some things you can't do with James Van Riemsdyk. Yeah, I mean, his strength is puck possession with his long reach and his ability down low and near the net. Three on three, I know that Babcock used him at times, but I think he realized that his his losing speed and as he gets older was a detriment. I know that he put him and Bozak out there when, when they were both on the Leafs and it wasn't good in, in three on three. So yeah, I think there are other, there are other players that he could utilize that would be better fits. Now I have to say it, it's, it's, it's strange the sort of difference in approach between a coach like Vigneault and a coach like Mike Babcock you know, Vigneault, he singles out his star players if they're not if they're not uh, producing. You know, he he, he staples Vorchek to to the bench. Babcock, he takes out fourth liners who play six minutes. He doesn't right. he doesn't penalize Tavares or Marner or Caspery Kapanen or Matthews or Nylander for playing badly. No, he punishes Nick Batan and Jason Spezza. And that, that infuriates me because those weren't the guys who made the errors in a 7-2 blowout against Tampa. It was the star players, but they're the ones who pay the price. Well, we'll switch to the Leafs now because you magically have done that. Um, I want to ask you in that loss. I want to ask you in that loss what you feel Mike Babcock did in adjustments, in lineup adjustments or play adjustment, when it clearly wasn't working out after the first period, I didn't see anything. The only thing that he did was juggle his defensive pairings. He put Rasmus Sandin on the left side with Tyson Berry. He had uh, Justin Hall playing with Riley at times, Cody Cece with 
Muzzin. He just mixed his defensive pairings, but he left the, he left the, the forward lines essentially the same. And in the second period, after the, a combined seven goals the two teams scored, it was more the Babcock-style hockey that he was looking for. But Tampa scored a goal to make it 5-3. They didn't make any kind of progress. And then in the third period, Tampa scored a couple more goals, and it was just – you know, it was it was just a dreadful overall performance by the team, but it wasn't the role players. It was the star players, and I think that that's a bit of a concern because you know Mitch Marner, as you observed, he seems to have not lost a step, but there that that step that jump that he had last year at times, especially yeah, he's defense. chasing the play. Like I noticed against Detroit, yeah. he was actually chasing the play late in the second period. Now they came through and and they beat Detroit because they ultimately just have a better team. But that's something I've never seen Mitch Marner do, ever. Yeah, and he, he made a good play. I think it was on Anthony Mantha where he lifted his stick, but it was like he lunged. And like yeah. last year he would have been right on him and he would have just stolen yep. the puck away from him. Instead he lifted his stick. So, I mean, is that a product of him maybe not uh, you know, missing a little bit of training camp? I can't imagine that. I, I, I know that he works hard on, on, the, you know, on his game during the summer, but there just seems to be some – Lack of motivation. Maybe he's being slowed down by that ten point eight nine three million dollars in his pocket. <laughs> and it's an interesting thing because, like, we see Patrick Marlowe, They insert him right away, and you know he scores two goals. We know that's not going to last. But I, I look at this league, and I just feel like if you as a player miss any time in your conditioning on the ice with the players as a team, that it does affect you. So I think it has affected Mitch Marner to some degree because. I've never seen him get tired out in games. I've never seen him chasing the play, but here we are. Well, the question is also when, depending on the player. Sometimes adrenaline, you know, every player is different. Mm-hmm. Sometimes adrenaline can carry you through in the initial first, first stretch of coming back, and then you hit that wall invariably if you haven't had the same amount of time in terms of getting yourself up to speed, conditioning, things of that sort. And we can talk again about how players – Oh, they're, you know, they're getting themselves ready on their own, yeah. you know, and that we, they have a very regimented pro. It's not, it's not, it's still not what's overseen by the team. It's still right. not part of, you, you can say, well, this is the stuff you kind of do, but not exactly. You're not, you're going to push yourself to a point, but you, it's always, you have to have someone else outside pushing you as well. Um, specifically uh, within the team, within the team program. So it all is a matter, again, with each individual player as to when. For Marner, obviously, it seems like, you know, he's still, get, again, getting his legs under him earlier. Marlowe, I expect at a certain point, will, you know, will remark and say, wow, look what he did in his first few games. But invariably, he's going to slow down because, again, he's yeah. 37, you know, 30, you know, actually older than that, uh, <laughs> years of age. So that's the biggest concern, again, for a San Jose team, that if they're looking at Marlowe to be sort of the answer to get them out of their hole right now, He's only a little part that he's basically, in my mind, kind of a Band-Aid over, a large, over the larger issues that, that San Jose faces right now. Yeah. So now we talk about the matinee game at, at MSG. And it's interesting because, Ant, I find that these matinee games are like the Thursday night football games. Now, players love them because, hey, you get to like 6 o'clock, your day is done. You can go out and, and have fun in New York City. I get it. But from the game perspective, they're always kind of weird. What I, what I took out of this game was that there's no question the Edmonton Oilers are trying to play a perfect game and looking for teams to make mistakes, and the Rangers eventually did because they are one of those teams that are going to make some mistakes. And so that, I feel, was their biggest reason that they won, not so much that they really outplayed them that much, 
I think they may have outplayed him for a couple of moments, but it was pretty even for a lot of that game, and there were some penalties, and I felt like Connor McDavid even got aided on a penalty. Imagine that. But to get on the power play. But all in all, I don't know if Edmonton can do this all year and play this perfect Dave Tippett hockey with the personnel that they have. It's an interesting thing right now with the Oilers. I certainly think there's a bit of just, you know, that, again, and I say this kind of with an issue with a player like a Marlowe, but this sometimes also carries over with a team. Could also be true also for for Philadelphia. Whenever you're under a new coach, you guys, you know, the players are trying to, you know, impress the coach and try to keep themselves obviously in good graces so they can continue to to play. Um, again, based on I think Edmonton kind of knows as well that you know past their first two lines that the depth is questionable and that they are in fact going to need to play a system that. Dave Tippett typically is going to prefer. Now, we've always thought, you know, we've heard in the past of all, Tippett's not an all-defensive first coach, but the basis of his system is always is, has always been defense first. And for now, it's working, but I think it's okay to be, and I said this the other day, it, it's, it's good to celebrate a, a start that the Oilers have had, but it's also, you know, completely legitimate to be at least a little bit skeptical until we get at least a couple months into the season before we start making sweeping generalities about the, uh, you know, the, the ability of a team uh, or their ability to sort of maintain it. So I think, you're, I think your concerns there are warranted. You need to see more. You need a larger sample size before we can sort of say that the Oilers, are, you know, not only are playing typical hockey, but are playing, you know, hockey that could be playoff contender level. I mean, Mike, the one thing I can say for sure is the, because I've watched the Oilers two or three times, is their penalty kill has definitely improved. And I give Tippett the credit for that. The Rangers had a, a short five-on-three and, and, and didn't do much with it. So I have to give them credit for that for sure. Well, let's, let's just say this. Going in and sweeping the three teams in the, in the New York area is not akin to going out to California a few years <laughs> ago and beating the Ducks, Kings, and Sharks. You know, no. the, the, we know the Islanders are a flawed team. They can't score. The Devils have gotten off to a bad start. And as much as I like the Rangers and their talent and all their improvements, you know, it's it, it, it it's not a a unrealistic concept to walk into MSG and beat them. I, I mean, right. I swear, Daryl Cates probably slipped some money to the NHL schedulers because if you look at the at their the Oilers schedule at the early part of the season Vancouver LA Islanders Devils Rangers <laughs> Chicago then Philadelphia and Detroit I mean they could reasonably go 8-0 before they run into a tough team and I'm telling you right now and we both know somebody who predicted them to finish in first place this team is not making the playoffs the way they're currently constructed they have great talent at the top of their lineup uh, the goaltending is questionable. Unless Tippett has worked some unbelievable magic and he's uh, been able to get them to buy into the concept of defense, I don't think that they're going to play defensively well enough to make the postseason. But it's early, so we'll see. Right. So two of those other teams in the Metro I do want to talk about. I'm going to bring up the Islanders first and because I noticed that there's quite a bit of angst on the Internet about the Islanders and their lack of scoring. In five games, they have 12 goals. Uh, and, you know, I don't think any of us love the four years for Varlamov contract. Lou is under quite a bit of heat right now, and rightly so, because they really didn't improve their offense. They really didn't. And they're not getting any real scoring from their blue line. And so you look at this team, and it's really all up to Barry Trotz 
And Lou said a couple weeks ago, hey, it's not about how many goals we score. It's about the differential. And right now their differential is minus three. What do you make of the Islanders? I think, again, the main thing that I look at with regard to the Islanders, again, they didn't make a major upgrade this offseason. Um, Varlamov, I think we all are, were in agreement, certainly, about you know that four years seemed a bit much for a guy whose health has been a concern throughout his career uh, at this point, and amongst other things. And the main upgrade, you know, the main thing that they did was they tried to shore up their depth with Derek Broussard, at least down the middle, to at least not appear that, you know, that they've got a legitimate, you know, pivot set, you know, for three lines, for, for all four lines. Beyond that, though, again, it, it is, it very much does have that whiff of a early Nashville Barry Trot, you know, Barry Trot's team. And that's kind of how Nashville played under Trot was that they kind of kept things close to the vest with a Pecorine in net and Thomas Vokun prior to that. It very much sort of has that whip of almost an underdog type of lineup. But in the, in, in the Metro division, you know, you, you, they, to their credit, over, in my opinion, overachieved the Islanders last season based on their talent base. And right. asking that necessarily for a second year – maybe a, may a bit of a tall order. I do think the Islanders will need to make some sort of upgrade up front specifically as the season goes on before I'm completely on board with them again for another postseason berth. Mike? Yeah, I don't think a team in this day and age can operate like previous Trots teams have where your leading scorers are Sergei Kostitsin. Patrick Hornquist and David Legwand, and they all scored like in the 20s or high teens. I think you need more diversified offense and more talent. And, you know, they've got Barzil. We know he's really good. They re-signed Lee. They re-signed Nelson. They re-signed Eberle. But there's just not enough there there. And, uh, you know, last year they were carried to the playoffs by Leonard having an unbelievable season and that team, you know, uh, grabbing onto the Barry Trot style. But to win with the Barry Trot style, you have to have guys who can score goals. And right now, you know, like Leo Komarov is their fourth leading point getter. That's not working. No. All right. So talking about not working, we'll talk about the New Jersey Devils. And, and Mike, I'll, I'll go to you on this one first. So I've watched a bit of them. And right now in five games, they have nine goals, and they've given up 23. I'm not a math major, but that's not good. <laughs> um, when, when you look at their defense, we, we had discussions, and we said beyond their top three, we didn't love their defense. And then I noticed when they played in Philly how they were using Jack Hughes, and I didn't love that. Now, is, par- is it partially Jack Hughes' fault that he's not scoring? Sure. But – I'm going to tell you a stat that Scott Cohen pulled out that I tweeted the other day, and I didn't have the stat, but he has TSN at his disposal. I don't. And he basically said the last, you know, first overall pick to go scoreless in five games was Steve Stamkos, and I brought up Steve Stamkos and, mm-hmm. and Barry Melrose because now to Hines' credit, he's playing Hughes a little bit more than, than Melrose was playing Stamkos, but he's not using them that much different, and he's putting them on lines with, not the best players, and, and Gusev isn't a player that I, I think works with Hughes. It sounded good in theory, but Gusev is trying to find his way in the NHL. Like, you need to put this kid with someone like a Palmieri. You can't load up everybody with Taylor Hall and expect this kid 
with a limited offensive team to just make his own offense. It just doesn't happen that way in this league. And I know we talked about a few of different coaches who might be in trouble early on. John Hines is going to get on that list pretty quick, and he was on the list anyhow, I believe. So, you know, give me your thoughts about New Jersey and their bad goaltender. Well, I mean, first with Hughes, I mean, when you're telling me that they're playing with Blake Coleman and, and, and Wayne Simmons and those are guys who, I mean, if they're out there to sort of protect him, you need one guy like that. You don't need both of them. Yeah, um, and they've but, moved it around, but still, yeah. Right. But, his, but I mean, his playmaking, playmaking ability and what I, what I have seen in limited uh, opportunities to see him before he was drafted first overall, I would have never thought, I mean, maybe he'd be goalless in five games and not pointless. He's pointless with a minus three in five games. To me, that's like saying he's just being misused. But that, the, the whole point with the Devils this year, we knew that the goaltending situation was tenuous with Schneider, you know, who's been bad the last two seasons, and a young Mackenzie Blackwood. The defense has not played well, and you said they've given up 23 goals in five games. That's, you know, over four goals against with a team that's challenged offensively is not, is not going to work. Um, Subban only has one point in five games. They need him to be sort of the center of their offense and hopefully help them out of the power play. I think this team will be better, but, you know, and Elliot Friedman brought it up last night on, the, on the, uh, the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast. How long will it be before they decide this season is not going to be going in the direction we want and they're negotiating with Taylor Hall, who, by the way, his agent is the same one as Mitch Marner, Darren Ferris, and you get to the point where, you know, if they can't get him under contract or if they don't think that that's the direction they should go, that they trade Taylor Hall. And I, I think if they have, a, like, a bad first quarter, that's the more likely scenario with the, with the Devils that if Taylor Hall gets traded. Yeah, I agree. And I just, I just think at this point if Taylor Hall were going to be signed, he'd have been signed already, and now with this dreadful start, like, I don't see the motivation unless they really overpay him, and that's not their style. So I think they that would be Taylor Hall. That or, they, or that or they figure it out real quickly. And I, right. I have just my concerns about, for everybody who, for all the best off-season of all NHL teams, I have my concerns because you have so many disparate, you have a bunch of disparate parts that they added to the team. Certainly from a pure talent standpoint, the, the players, I, I, I like, you know, the, the, the acquisitions were good. But it does fall on the coaching staff to get that group to be, you know, the sum of their parts, basically. And they have not been the devils. They just haven't. And uh, we've kind of gone back and forth in terms of, you know, with Hughes, in terms of I, I do think a guy like Simmons should be on a line with him, he's, he, especially, you know, he's used to playing with, with skilled players from, er, you know, from earlier in his career. Um, plus, you know, his reputation will give and having him and Blake Coleman as, as line mates, you need to have someone who's going to be a little bit more of an initiator and a creator who can work back and forth with Hughes. And so that, in that circumstance, it kind of takes away from his talent. It's kind of like, here, kid, let's go. You're going to go into the deep set of the pool and we're yeah. going to put, buddy, they, they think they're putting buddy bumpers up like in, 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 in bowling. Yeah. And in reality, they're, they're really kind of putting a, uh, a cap on what he can how he can create. If you don't have wingers that can create, there's no, it, it just becomes exceedingly difficult. So adding Gusev to the mix, I think it was, a, it was good, but again, Gusev is first year in the national hockey league trying, you know, he's got talent, but we don't know, you know, he's still trying to find his own way and expecting yeah. him to be a, a major initiator for them. It's tough. Uh, and goaltending, it's just, I, the devil's, it's going to be really interesting between Hines and Pete DeBoer right now. I think in many ways it's a race to see, 
you know, which one is able to get their team turned around the quickest because I think right. either one of those two are going to be by Thanksgiving potentially looking at, you know, if things don't improve, maybe looking at the unemployment line. Now I'm going to make a big, bold prediction here. The, um, the Vegas Golden Knights, Mike, sent down Malcolm Subban, and as a result, Marc-Andre Fleury is there with Oscar Dansk. So now I think Marc-Andre Fleury is going to play like 68 to 70 games. Oh, almost, yeah. I mean, look at the. I mean, look at the numbers. Look at the numbers on Dance bringing him up. What do you have a seven twenty save percentage down in Chicago, and they don't yeah. bring up Sparks instead? I mean, it tells you pretty much. Yeah, we're just in a holding pattern. We're gonna we're gonna probably just ride Mark Andre. We're gonna ride Flower uh, the whole stretch until Subban is is ready and comes back up. So, how that strategy will work? Do you have to be? You know. You know. Again, he's not a young. Flurry's not a youngster. Uh, it certainly he keeps himself, I think, in great shape, but no question, but as a goaltender. But I have my concerns that you have to kind of give Flurry a blow here and there. And, you know, by, by them going with Dansk versus Sparks, who was playing particularly, I think numbers looked like they were pretty solid for him in Chicago. They've sent that signal uh, in my mind that, you know, it's going to be, they're going to lean on Flurry until Subban gets back. Mike? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the at the Vegas schedule right now. They're playing a second of home home and home t- today against uh, the, the Kings. So you would think that normally they would go with the backup in that in that instance. Uh, they have a game in between every uh, every other game or a day in between every other game this week. So I could see Flurry running the table and playing three straight games before they have another back to back. To me, it's like if. You know, I know that they brought up Dansk a couple of years ago when he played well for them. But to me, it's more commentary on Garrett Sparks and the fact that if you're if you're calling up a goaltender and it's not Sparks, then I don't know if when you're ever calling up Sparks. So, um, but yeah, I mean the thing is, Flurry's 34 years old. You know, unless Gerard Gallant has gone to the Mike Babcock school, you cannot play your goaltender 60 to 65 games anymore and expect them to have anything left in the tank when it comes to the postseason. Maybe they can get away with it, uh, you know, short term, but I think if they have no confidence in their backups, maybe they just want Subban to get some work down in the AHL and he comes back up. But if they don't have any confidence in their backups, you know, go out and trade for Louis Domingue or do something because you need to give Fleury some rest. Yeah, no, no question. Um, last thing I'm going to say, I just saw a stat. The, um, the Colorado Avalanche have won 10 straight regular season games at their home ice at the Pepsi Center. And that's, you know, that's my team to, to get to the Cup. That's my preseason pick. They, it, it's amazing the transformation in the last two years, you know, from when Joe Sackett didn't know what he was doing to now. They've got everybody signed. Everybody's under contract. I think they have good enough goaltending, but they're a team that could trade for goaltending at the yeah. deadline if, and, and, and become even better, I think. So this team's set up for a lot of success now, and honestly, they still don't get talked about a lot. They don't. I mean, I have them winning. I actually have them winning, winning, the, central, I have them winning the Central Division, but I don't have mm-hmm. them going to the finals. But I do think they're capable of a deep run. I think they just may run into, a, 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 into, a, into another team that may – give them some difficulties depending on matchups. I do yeah, think the yeah. blue line probably still needs a little bit of a tweak or two. Um, although, I, for the most part, again, Kel McCarr just is, is, is a phenomenal defenseman and just you know, can, can paper over a lot. I think 
he's pretty rare in that he can paper over a lot, some of that depth concern. But I do think they need to make at least one, at least a defense, at least one defensive move. I like their forward depth. I think it's excellent. Um, I, and I'm, I'm, I think, you know, Kadri finally getting himself off the goal, goal scoring schneid here. We'll see if things kind of open up for him here as well, up, you know, playing, playing there. Yeah, they're not talked about a lot. I think it's going, they're going to need to have, a pretty decent, uh, a pretty decent like playoff run. I think the attention will certainly be shifting to them in Denver because of the fact that the Broncos just, you know, the Broncos are pretty much dead in the water and there's nothing yeah. else going on. So it'll, the, the people in Colorado will let you know, but I think overall in the NHL, um, I think a, a really good, you know, continued offensive excellence by um, by with Nathan McKinnon leading the way. Yeah, they're going to be right in it. Goaltending, I agree with you. I think they, you know, they unless. You have to have some concern, I think, with Pablo Francuz, but he could very well come into. He won his first defender. start, though. He's the he's the he least did. known goalie in the NHL. He is. Mike and I, I mean, can prove that. Be, you're going to the only reason yeah, you're gonna be, you have to be a major hockey head who, who's seen him play in the KHL, which I have seen, and I know what his capability is. I think he can play in this league, and I think he can be a good goaltender, Francuz. Um, but we're going to again, proof is going to be obviously as the season uh, goes on. If he can. Hold things down. If he can do a good job there, then I think the Abs will have a pretty solid tandem. Um, but I do think it'll be what determines whether or not they're going to get deep in the playoffs or not. Mike Pavel Francuz is one and zero. He is, and they're celebrating in Chelyabinsk. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I have nothing against him, and he's you know he's an experienced goaltender who played th- uh, three years in the KHL and five years in the Czech League. He's twenty nine years old, so as a backup. I, I think, you know, fine. You always find backups late, you know, later in their career, and they fill in, and if he can play 25 to 30 games, then, you know, that's great. I, my question is, is Grubauer and whether Grubauer can handle the number yep. one uh, role. Now, I, I watched the third period of, the, of that game last night, and, you know, they're – they're not just a one-line team anymore. That's no. the one thing that Sackick did. You know, Jost is starting to, to uh, contribute. They bring yep. in Donskoy. They bring in uh, Belmar. They, they make the trade for Kadri. Their defense is better than it was last year, and they, they traded one of their better defensemen in Barry. So this is a team on the come. I, I think that the only thing that holds them back is if Grubauer plays average. And like we've talked about on the Buzzcast, Russ, I mean, if, if like Craig Anderson or somebody else, out there is on the trade trade block. They have the cap room to go out and get that goaltender. So I think they're going to be proactive when it gets closer to the deadline. I, I will also say this, Mike. Um, I'm going to give if I had a vote for the Jack Adams, I'm going to give it to Rick Tockett because if you want to talk about a team that has no differential, they're they're actually at a zero, but have played four games and scored seven goals. Like seriously. I don't know how John Chica holds on to his job. I don't. Yeah, uh, I, I, this is Tockett the hardest is, coaching job in hockey for Rick Tockett. It is. Rick Tockett is an expert at making chicken salad out of chicken bleep. He really yeah. is. Because, because no matter what Chica does in terms of signing guys to long-term extensions who probably shouldn't be, uh, bringing in players who, I mean, we knew that Kessel – I think Kessel has always been a flawed player, but they're really depending on him to be the big scorer there. I mean, if they get any kind of health, they might be able to stay in the, in the, in the race in the Pacific. It was a miracle they stayed in the race for the playoffs last year. But there's just something inherently wrong with that team, that they, it is always something, some major defect. And the one thing I can say about Tockett is 
they had they had that defect last year, and they stayed in the race until the final week. So it's it's bizarre. And my last note, and it's a food note. I noticed lately that there's something out there called Mountain Dew Pie, and I, I just want to say how against this I am. If you get past the crazy colors that Mountain Dew might use, and it's not like all their drinks are bad. I actually think they have an orange one, uh, Kickstart or Quick Start. It's not bad. But do I want that in a cake, Ant? Like, I'm finishing a meal. Do I want a Mountain Dew cake? I don't think so, or a pie, whatever it was. Well, I mean, it's in lieu of that or coffee, uh, or coffee for a long drive home. I mean, maybe instead if you don't feel like that, then – a Mountain Dew pie actually might have some, because it'll sit in your stomach longer than liquid. <laughs> right. Uh, might provide you that little extra bit of energy if you're, get, if you're starting to get real tired around, you know, 1145, 12 o'clock at night, and you're driving, you know, an hour from a party, you know, an hour plus from a party. So in that respect, I could see the potential for, um, for, for help, you know, as a uh, driving performance enhancer. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, well, Mike, all, any, all, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah all, all I know is that in my, in my frequent run from Burlington to Buffalo after Leaf games, by about the midway point around Grimsby, I would have to pull over in diabetic convulsions if I, if I had a Mountain Dew pie. It's the, it, in fact, it, to me, it's one of the worst pops there is. So I can just imagine the, you know, the amount of chemicals and, and uh, different colors that are in, that would be made in this pie that would make me probably lose my senses. Yeah, actually, it looks like it's a cake, but either way, I'm against it. And so <laughs> I, I just don't know how this happened to our world, but here we are. Well, so, well, I have to I have to include this, Russ. Last night I didn't send you the picture, but last night I saw a Hostess pumpkin spice cupcakes. Oh. <laughs> I mean, hostess, what are you doing? All right, that's it. Uh, that, you, you just killed my morning. That's it for Off the Post. We'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody.